confusing to a lost dog. And to Blackie, after his third day of being lost, the city streets were terrifying. The first day he had vague hope. He almost went to a young man who called him and snapped his fingers. But the young man's eyes had a shifty expression, so Blackie changed his mind. The second day his courage lagged, and the third day he could scarcely pull himself along, and there was a thin line of foam around his dry mouth, and a woman shouted, Mad Dog! And through sheer necessity, Blackie started to run again. And at that moment, the Reverend Andrew Archer Dean was being interviewed. I'm with the Blade, Dr. Dean. I'm to do a feature story on you. Well, how very nice. Never done a feature story about a clergyman before, so I'll probably be clumsy. With my questions, I mean. And uh, maybe I'd better come directly to the point. Please do. Well, Dr. Dean, the text of this story is sincerity. So I want you to tell me honestly how you happen to be a minister. When, I mean, you got the thing they call uh, a call. The time, I mean, when God spoke to you and told you that saving souls was going to be your job from then on. Well, I suppose it happened when I was in college. I, I had my part in the Student Preaching Association, you know, and I dedicated... All the time that was free from my studies to... And to what? To making myself ready for my vocation. Well, I wouldn't exactly say that was a call. Well, some things happened so, so beautifully, so quietly, and in such a sacred way, really, that it would be a sacrilege to drag them into the open. Let me tell you about our boys' club at the church and about our upswing in attendance. I really think that the troubled time in which we're living is making us ready for a spiritual renaissance, don't you? The reporter's eyes were sharp behind his spectacles. Did he guess the truth, the Reverend Andrew Archer Dean asked himself? For the Reverend admitted in his soul, and only in his soul, that he'd never had a call. One of his fellow students had told him when he was in college that with his look and resonant speaking voice, he could go places in a big church. And so he had. His sermons were brilliant. They had a fine surface luster, but... Andrew said goodbye to the reporter. And Blackie, running frantically down streets, dodging traffic, knew complete panic. Where does a lost dog go? What does a lost dog do? He ran and ran. But the Reverend Andrew Archer Dean walked slowly to a meeting of trustees. Later still, in the church parlor, he talked with a prospective bride. You've come to discuss the final arrangements for the wedding, yes? Well, if you have any ideas about the music, of course we can't do better than Oh Promise Me. It's so identified with... What's the matter, Miss Barrow? You look strange. Dr. Dean, I, I must have a serious talk with you. Anything I can say or do, 
I'm completely at your service, Miss Barrow. You're kind. You know my fiancé. Very well, indeed. Harvey Curtis is one of the outstanding members of the congregation. He's terribly rich, but... but that doesn't make any difference, actually. You're crying, Miss Barrow. What is it? Now, even though you're nervous, you mustn't cry when your wedding's only a day off. Well, that's why I'm crying. I'm not in love with Harvey. I was terribly flattered when he asked me to marry him. I, I think I was sort of... sort of swept off my feet. The, the things he offered me that... they seemed more important than they should have seemed, perhaps, at the moment. Dr. Dean, should I marry a man I don't love? Tell me... You're a clergyman. You know what's right and what's wrong. In just a moment, Hope Winslow will be back again. But first, have you ever wondered why a bayonet is called a bayonet? Why not a rifle knife or a rifle sword? The answer is simple. The first bayonets were made in the city of Bayon, France, toward the end of the 15th century. Probably they were devised to make infantrymen, armed with single-shot muskets, more effective. In close combat, the musketeer, without time to reload, could affix a bayonet to his weapon and turn himself into what was called a pipe man. These early bayonets were of the plug type, pushed into the muzzle of the musket like a cork into a bottle. Later improvements gave us the ring and the spring clip bayonets, which permits the firing of the rifle with bayonet attached. In this complex world, where word meanings are constantly changing, it's easy to be misunderstood. That's why it's a good idea to know your words. And now, back to our story with Hope Winslow. A young girl, very pretty, very pathetic. She stared pleadingly into the face of the minister, and he swallowed hard and spoke. You're faced by quite a problem, Miss Barrow. It's a desperate problem. You see, the boy I was going to marry, he was killed in Korea. That was five years ago. Five long years, Miss Barrow. I'm sure he wouldn't stand in the way Oh, of he'd want me to marry her. I'm sure of that, to have security... But it's like this, Dr. Dean. Every time Harvey's kissed me since we became engaged, I've closed my eyes and tried to pretend it was Jim kissing me. But after we're married, well, I can't go on like that for the rest of my life. Well, can I? To call off a wedding at the 11th hour, it would cause quite a bit of scandal. I, I realize that. But if I marry without love... I'll be unfair to both of us, won't I? I... I thought maybe... Maybe you could have a talk with him, Dr. Dean. With Harvey, I mean. I wouldn't know what to say to him, Miss Barrow. You wouldn't know what to say to him. I, I understand I shouldn't have asked you to do such a thing. I should be ashamed of myself. Ashamed of yourself? Definitely not. When any member of my flock has a problem, I'm the logical one to iron out that problem. Yes, of course. 
Then? We'll have the wedding scheduled, of course. I, I wouldn't want to involve Harvey or you in a scandal. Your voice will sound beautiful as you read the marriage service. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Until death us do part. That's how Jim and I were parted. By death. I'll try to make Harvey a good wife. I'll try terribly hard. Reverend Andrew Archer Dean walked down the avenue to an impressive apartment house. He was having luncheon with a financier and counting on a generous contribution. A butler opened the door. I'm sorry, Mr. Dean, but Mr. Stonehill isn't home. Isn't home? Somebody's well, expecting me. I'm sorry, sir. I tried to reach you, but they said you just left. Huh. Uh, where is Mr. Stonehill? He was taken with a throbbing toothache. He's gone to see his dentist. Oh, I see. Uh, tell Mr. Stonehill that it's quite all right, that I understand perfectly. I'll make another appointment. Satan's working overtime today, thought Andrew. A marriage almost cancelled, a throbbing toothache. They disturbed me very much. And Blackie, almost too tired to go on, darted through an alley and crawled under a fence that left cruel scratches on his back. But there were the same traffic sounds on the other side of the fence, so he went on. His stomach aching with hunger, his tongue rolling helplessly in his mouth. But the Reverend Andrew Archer Dean, eating a pickup luncheon in the parsonage, had an emergency phone call. Old Mrs. Warden was dying. She was practically the last of the city's fading aristocracy. As a girl, she'd been famous for her beauty. As an octogenarian, she'd been famous for her vitriolic wit. Andrew Archer Dean tiptoed into a darkened room and crossed to the carved walnut bed and stood staring down at the old woman who lay in it. She spoke in a voice that was as thin as a river reed. He sent for you, young man, because I'm dying. I hope not, Mrs. Warden. I'm dying, I tell you, and I won't take any bad talk. I want you to comfort me and to prepare me. The Heavenly Father takes all of us, Mrs. Warden. Sooner or later, we must be prepared. A little louder, please. You've lived a full life, Mrs. Warden. Louder? You've lived a full life. Of course I have. No one knows better than I do. I didn't ask you to come here to tell me that. <laughs> Why don't you pray? For my soul. I was about to. Are you going to pray standing up, young man? Or on your knees? Perhaps 
Perhaps in his hour of need, Blackie's pitiful plight was known to the god of all lost things. And perhaps when a square of green grass appeared in front of him, his need had been answered magically. He hesitated in front of an open doorway. He couldn't read the words that were printed beside that door, for he was only a lost dog. But they said, Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in a dim, quiet bedroom, the Reverend Andrew Archer Dean fell on his knees beside a carved walnut bed. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Don't waste time in preliminaries. Get to the point. Pray for my soul, I tell you. Say something worth hearing. Well... Mrs. Warden, I want you to think about heaven. I don't mean its physical aspect. I mean its spiritual aspect. I want a prayer. I'm trying to give you comfort, Mrs. Warden. Heaven's a place where we find the dreams that we've put aside. It's a place where we find those things that we've wanted that we've never been able to attain on earth. I have attained everything I've ever wanted by fair means or foul. That's why I need you to pray for me. Go on while you've got chat. The Reverend Andrew Archer Dean raised tortured eyes to the parchment face of the old woman who lay on the bed. Even with her last breath, she was taunting him, pointing out his inadequacy. And a little black dog crept through the door of the church and pulled himself up the aisle until he came to a raised platform. He lay down there. He didn't know that he was lying at the foot of an altar. The Reverend Andrew Archer Dean felt that he was kneeling at a sacrificial altar as he groped to say the right words a dying woman. And suddenly... Mrs. Warden? Mrs. Warden? Nurse! Nurse, come quickly! Has she? I think... She's dead. She hasn't any pulse. I'll send for the doctor. Thank goodness you were here, Dr. Dean, to give her the comfort that she needed. In just a moment, Hope Winslow will be back. The traditions of the country are part of each citizen's culture and something he can be proud of. Take, for instance, the traditions of the United States Navy. Did you ever wonder how the sailor got that broad collar? Well, listen to this. Around about 1780, it was the vogue for seamen to wear their hair in a long, heavily greased pigtail. A neckerchief was worn to keep the grease off the jacket. In time, the neckerchief was replaced by the extra-long collar. But when seamen stopped wearing greased pigtails, the long collar remained as part of the uniform. And it's a distinctive uniform that every seaman can be proud of because it is a part of the great traditions of the United States of America.
And now, back to our story with Hope Winslow. The Reverend Andrew Archer Dean walked away from the warden home with a lagging step. He was tired. It was as if he'd been running all day and getting nowhere. It was as if he were hungry, desperately hungry. He started off in the direction of the church that was the center of his universe. And as he walked, he was hearing his roommate's voice telling him that with his looks and speaking voice, he'd be a great success. And superimposed on his roommate's voice, he was hearing a reporter who'd interviewed him so recently. I'd better come directly to the point. The text of my story will be sincerity. So I want you to tell me honestly how and why you happen to be a minister. When, I mean, you've got that thing they call uh, a call. The young minister walked on, and as he came nearer to the church, he was hearing another voice, a troubled voice, a girl's voice this time, with a thread of tears running through it. I'm not in love with him, you see. Dr. Dean, should I marry a man I don't love? Tell me, you know what's right and what's wrong. Your voices sound beautiful as you read the marriage service, Dr. Dean. The Reverend Andrew Archer Dean walked down the path that led to his church. He could read the sign that stood beside the door. Come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden. And as he read the words, he saw instead a parchment-like face lying against Tumbley's pillow. And he heard a voice speaking what amounted to his I sent for you, young man, because I'm dying, and I want comfort and reassurance. Most of all, I want a prayer. Are you going to say it standing up, young man? Get down on your knees. young minister entered the church and walked down the softly carpeted aisle. And as he walked through the same words under his breath, words that he'd never spoken or even thought before. Perhaps I'm dead too. Like old Mrs. Warden. There's something about my faith that's not vital, not alive. This day has proved it. What's the answer? Father in heaven, tell me the answer now. The Reverend Andrew Archer Dean, for the first time completely humble, went down the aisle and stopped short, for he had reached the altar at the end of the aisle. He stared down at his feet in bewilderment, there was a movement in the shadow below the altar. The young minister's lost eyes looked into the lost eyes of Blackie. Their glances locked, and then all at once the exhausted dog closed his eyes. And again, the young minister spoke. I am a poor little fellow, astray, forlorn and lost and desperately afraid. He's been running for the city for hours. Perhaps days. Until he came to the open door of the church and wandered in. It's sanctuary to him. Now that's 
what a church should mean. What religion should mean. What I should mean. Sanctuary. The answer to a need. It's peaceful here. And still. And I hear him for the first time. I hear him clearly. So suddenly in the stillness, the Almighty spoke to the Reverend Andrew Archibald. And the young man fell to his knees in front of the altar beside the tired body of a little tramp dog. But as he knelt, Andrew didn't clasp his hands in a conventional manner. One hand dropped to the head of the tired puppy. There, there, boy. I'll take care of you. And he'll take care of us. Both. other things too, such as love and laughter and happiness. Religion is for homeless, lost people. But it's also, and I'm glad to believe this, for happy people who have known success and gaiety and freedom from fear. A young man was mentioned in the preceding story. He called out to Blackie and snapped his fingers and Blackie almost went to him. Yes, this was a young man whose eyes had a shifty expression, whose name was Mike Nolan. Mike Nolan was the member of a discouraged and discouraging slum family. With him, you'll meet his overworked mother, his shiftless father, and a tragic little girl named Nani, who didn't want to go to school because her clothes were so shabby. I'll bring you their story with a surprising twist. Until then, this is Hope Winslow saying goodbye from the Whispering Peaks. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were John Stevenson, Jane Webb, Tom Holland, and Lorene Tuttle. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. Whispering Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.